Welcome into this week's episode of Bill's Pod Squad, Maddie Glab, alongside my co-host, Bill's owner and team president, Kim Pagula, and we've got Mike Tirico on with us, who will be a part of Sunday Night Football's broadcast. He's an NBC sportscaster and has been seen in so many different sports, so many different avenues of the world of sports. So we are so excited to have him on with us today, take a little bit of time out of his busy schedule to speak with us before the Kansas City Chiefs game on Sunday night. So Mike, thanks for being on with us. Kim, glad to have you with us too. Uh, Thoughts about the Bills this season? I mean, they are three and one to start the season through four weeks of play, uh, two shutouts in the first four weeks, which is kind of unlikely to do. So from the film study, from the storylines that you've looked at already, what do you think about this year's group? Well, Maddie, it's great to be with you. And of course, Kim uh, and all of uh, my friends from Western New York, my Syracuse college days have always had me close ties to the Bills and uh, one of my my college roommate, Paul Peck, who's worked in the Buffalo media forever. So uh, I keep a close eye on everything that happens with Buffalo. And I'm so happy. I know uh, I thought of Terry and Kim at one point during one of these blowouts. And I said, wow, this must be the least stressful Bills games <laughs> or Sabres games yeah. or Jess's tennis matches that they've ever gone through. Yeah, and two you, or three weeks. Right? You know that I get stressed out a, a lot during the games, but yes, yes, the last uh, couple of games were a little bit less stress-free. But but as you know, in 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 any game, it's never over till it's over. So right. I do not relax at all. But but yes, it, when we had a, a big enough lead, I did relax a little bit. Well, you rarely have one game like that every couple of years, right? Kim and Maddie, you know that watching the NFL. To have two in a three-week stretch is so odd, and it makes me feel good for the Bills fans because they can enjoy a little bit of uh, what you all have built there with Sean McDermott, with Brandon Bean. There's a there's a great foundation. Uh, sometimes you catch lightning in a bottle. You have a magical and a special year. But this is now a build, um, like we saw with the great Bills teams of the uh, of the late eighty of the early nineties, late eighties. This is um, it's systemic. You look around the team, you see good people in good places. Smart decisions are made. There's no running and scrambling to get this player or that player is at the end of their career. This has just been built along the way. So to enjoy days like this help to make up for the years before of some difficult times. And it's just great to see because it's being done in a complete way. There's a running game. Uh, the defense has been solid to put up two shutouts. I don't care how poor the opponents are in the NFL. That rarely happens. And your quarterback is one of the great young ones. He really is. Everything about Josh is so uh, positive as all of us around the league watch. So all things are feeling good here as you head into this rematch of the AFC championship game with a team you almost got last year in Kansas city. So Return to the scene to see if you can get one here on Sunday night. Yeah, yeah I, I'm not expecting a shutout uh, for this week <laughs> in Kansas City at all. So my my stress levels will be very high. But you know, from from last year to this year, like I said, it's going to be a great rematch of the championship game. But what what do you expect, or what do you think will be different about this game versus last year's team? Well, I don't expect much differently. I will I will say this right now, Kim. I don't think the Kansas City defense is playing as well as they did uh, towards the end of the run last year. Uh, they they did allow points. We know Josh and the offense, they were able to move the ball and, and score. But I, I don't think Kansas City's defense is as dialed in right now as they were. They have a couple of injuries. As we know, the NFL is so much about timing. 
and health and trying to get to the biggest games of the year healthy. And I think this is a two-week stretch <clears throat> that's really important. When I looked at your schedule when it came out in late April, uh, what I was worried about was this stretch right here. Go to Kansas City, go to Tennessee. That's as tough a back-to-back as you'll have because the Kansas City game will be a Sunday night game. Tennessee will be a very physical game. It always is. The Titans are always in rough games. And I thought this back-to-back stretch would do a lot to determine home field in the playoffs. And for me, given the Patriots, uh, and I was there Sunday night to see it, they are rebuilding with a new quarterback, but they look good. And I think they'll be good. The Jets are obviously young and on the come. Miami's had some injury issues. The Bills were the favorite going into this division this year. And when you're a favorite going into a division, you start thinking about, one, of course, win the division. But from a larger scale where we're not emotionally involved, can this team have home field? Can this team be one of those teams that everybody's coming to your place in January? Well, a game like Sunday night and a game like the following week against Tennessee, those are the games that give you home field. You beat the best. You beat teams that have a great chance to win their division, although Kansas City is now in a tough division, as we see. So I think these two weeks are huge, and Kansas City's coming a little bit banged up to this game on the defensive side, missing some key pieces. Their offense has been going just fine, but uh, their defense is going to have to step up against Josh and, and a Bills offense that in some ways is starting to hit its stride might be better even than it was last year. Mike, it sounds like you've been in on, on some of our team meetings because Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott always say to, to be the best, you have to beat the best. And that's how they look at the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, they've called them the gold standard of the NFL right now just with how they've been playing uh, as of the last couple of years. But, Kim, I've also got to get your opinion on this game. What are some thoughts? I mean, last year's loss was tough. And then you think back to the regular season when we were without some of our players and, and lost the Chiefs again. So this is almost our third try at this team. Uh, it's going to be a stressful game. We know that. But how are you feeling uh, right now as we're recording this podcast? Well, well, um, yes, it's, it's going to be a stressful game. And you can never discount, you know, the Chiefs, um, even if they have, you know, two losses already into the season. And I would say, you know, as, as just like Mike, as you said, this is a way of building, right? And this is how Sean and, and Brandon Bean have tried to set up a foundation to get better every year. And kind of that's how I am hoping for that the losses from uh, from last season, you know, especially seeing that I still have that image of, of Stefan Diggs, you know, just out there kind of just staring um, mm-hmm. at the at the Jumbotron there after the, the loss. And so I just, you know, I, I have some confidence that, the losses from before, building a little bit better uh, from our last time we were there. So that's what I'm kind of looking forward to, kind of seeing how we can improve upon our performance from last year. Um, and again, you know, there there are some differences this year. As we know, every season is different um, and you can't count anybody out. And you also can't, you know, assume that you're going to come off with a win because you had, you know, shutouts from before. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be... Uh, it's going to be a fun game. And the night games, I, I told I told Brandon Bean, I said, I don't like all these night games. Like, it, it gets me out of my schedule. Like, you know, we've got a Sunday night and next week in Tennessee is the Monday night game. He said, Kim, be thankful you have these night games because it means right. you're good. And so I said, okay, okay. But, uh, but yeah, I when these games come out of my rhythm, out of my schedule, um, I'm like a player, you know, Sunday at one yeah. o'clock kind of kind of what I like but again it's good to be on these night games on these late national games 
um, and and to have you calling calling the game. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, Kim. You know, think of the days when you saw 1 p.m. for 11 weeks of yes. maybe 12 weeks of the 16 <laughs> down the column yeah. for a start time. And now yeah. the Bills are in a lot of these profile games. I wish I could be in Kansas City. I'm going to be in the studio for the Football Night in America show. But I'll see you all Thanksgiving as the plans, if the plans stay in place for the New Orleans Buffalo game down in New Orleans on Thanksgiving. And you'd want to talk about a big stage. Thanksgiving, usually it builds the largest NFL audience. And we have the annual game in Detroit and then the game in Dallas. And then that next spot is reserved for teams that really have the excitement and the attention of the entire NFL. And the Bills end up in that spot. And then two weeks later, you all go to Tampa Bay for a late game, a 425 game that'll be seen by most of the country in that most Sunday afternoon window. So the, the Bills, America is going to get to know the Bills really well this year. And that is an earned quality. Kim, you brought up something earlier that, uh, Maddie, I'm sure you're too young to remember, but um, in basketball, in the Eastern Conference of basketball, the Chicago Bulls had that long run, of course, in the 90s. But before that, the Bulls had to find a way to go through the Detroit Pistons, who were the championship team in the East. And before that, Detroit had to find a way to go through the Boston Celtics of Larry Bird. And it was one of those things, like you just said, Kim, uh, that Brandon and, uh, and Coach talk about all the time, to be the best, beating the best. Well, those teams had to go through the experiences of that a little bit. Uh, games like the AFC Championship game in Kansas City, games like Sunday night, and you know the Chiefs at 2-2, two and two, their fans and that atmosphere is going to be really intense. Those are the games that help you when you get to January. If you do have to go on the road or you're in a playoff game, the stage is bigger because the stakes are win or you're done, but you get a feeling for what it's like to play in those games. I think these are terrific. Look, they're great if you win, but they're terrific experiences no matter what when you're building a championship team, which is what I think the guys are doing up there and, and you and Terry as well. Well, Mike, we know that, you know, you love football, but, and it's football season, but you do so much more. You, is there any sport that you haven't covered in your career? I mean, I well, the basketball, <laughs> hockey, golf, um, what is there a sport you haven't covered? Don't don't forget tennis. I'm the I'm the rare person who has called a Jess Pagula match and called <laughs> yes. a Bills game. So wow. I got that going for me. I uh, did the U.S. Open for a bunch of years and uh, a year of the French Open with NBC. Uh, I'll miss hockey. We were involved with hockey at NBC yes, and I'll right. miss hockey, but certainly I'll keep an eye on the Sabres this year and hope things you know, follow the Bills path and able to build a successful story there for the next uh, coming years with a lot of young talent. I will say that my answer would have been skateboarding. However, during the Olympics in Tokyo, our feed of announcers went out from the venue and I had to call about two minutes of skateboarding. And let me just say, if it was two minutes and five seconds, I would have been in trouble. I was right at the end of my skateboarding knowledge to call the action when the announcers thankfully came back, we were able to go back to them. But I, I love sports. I, I love uh, when they're keeping score. Uh, I'm in my mid-50s now, and I've been doing this at the network level for over 30 years, or 26 years, I should say. I've been doing it overall for over 30 years, and I still love my job. It wakes me up every day. I'm so excited to get to do the things like last week. We were backstage where Tom Brady uh, walked down that visitor's tunnel for the very first time uh, and out onto a field where he may have had the greatest career of any one player in one stadium at Gillette Stadium, and Bills fans know that all too well. But to see Tom come back and have a chance to be a part of that scene and that night, uh, those are special things. We, we are very cognizant that the people who watch this pod 
the people who go to the stadium in Buffalo, the people who support the Bills all over the country, they do this to get away from their real life, right? We, it is our real life. And uh, I know, Kim, you and Terry must feel the same way, how lucky we are that uh, sports is a part of our day-to-day, not just our getaway. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I'm thankful. I, I tell people all the time, just like you, you know, um, I'm, some people probably think I'm a little bit too involved as far as owners go in the business, but um, it's because I love it and um, I, very thankful for what we're able to do. And it's so much fun on Sundays when you see the families together, when you see friends coming together to come to a game. Um, it's just it's more than just about the game. That's how I, I see it. And it's a much bigger purpose and, and picture out there. And it's just so much fun to see. Bob, you, you open the door, Maddie. So I'm just going to steal a half second from you. Go for it. Go Kim, for it. I, I'll, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a, a ton of credit because I've seen you um, a little bit behind the scenes, but also at league meetings, uh, trying to foster an opportunity to grow the NFL. If we take a step back and look at where the NFL was in 2016 compared to 2021 and the doors that have opened, uh, not just for women, but for minorities, the opportunities that are there, it's been talked about. But the people who are at the top of the league are helping drive real change in substantive places that we see. And when you look at Super Bowl Sunday and Tampa has two female assistants on their sideline and the, the down judge for the Super Bowl, Sarah Thomas, a woman who is a referee. Now we have another female referee who is a, a minority. Uh, we see real change in the league in a lot of different ways. And I know you've put a lot of your time and efforts into committees and work and conversations. And, and I, I applaud you for that, Kim, because uh, the whole see it and be it is real. And having a daughter who's gone through sports to now see uh, people people like you, ownership in Tennessee, ownership in Detroit, uh, I, I think it's a real opportunity for the league to continue growth. doesn't seem like the league can get any bigger, right? But <laughs> the tent continues to get bigger because it's more inclusionary than it was five, 10 years ago. And credit to you for... And thanks to you for, for the work you've done on that behalf as well. Well, there, there's many of us. We're, we're a growing lot there in the owner's room. Uh, there's actually more women than I think people uh, realize. But uh, but no, thanks for those kind words, Mike. And uh, again, we want to look we look out at our fan base and that's what we see. And we want to make sure yeah. that our team, that our organizations and ownership reflect that. I want to go back to a point you made just about the Bulls and the Detroit mm-hmm. Pistons and, and kind of dismantling that that team that is the team to right. beat, that is um, on the scene, that has been the team for several years. I mean, the Chiefs, yeah. they're the team in the AFC, and the Bills are trying to knock them off. The Bills are trying to get through that team in the AFC East that has been so hard to beat uh, for multiple years now. Uh, how much does a situation, a game like this, go back to situations and games that you've covered in the past since you've been a part of so many sporting events, so many different games. Is there a game that you've covered that sticks out in your mind uh, that was maybe not necessarily an underdog, but a team mm-hmm. who was trying to get through that team uh, to get to where they want to get to, which is the Super Bowl for the Buffalo Bills? Yeah, Maddie, I, I think we saw it back in football in the 80s when the Bears and the Giants and the 49ers were all so good in the NFC and they were battling each other. And these games in the regular season, because that schedule is set up so cleanly that division winners play division winners again the next year, right? These games are, let's forget the opportunities for a second uh, to prove something, quote unquote. What a great chance for Leslie Frazier's defense to show something that can 
slow down Patrick Mahomes. You don't stop him. Every defensive coordinator has the challenge when you play the Chiefs of stop Travis Kelsey, stop Tyreek Hill, but don't let Clyde Edwards-Elair or the other running backs have big games as well. Kansas City, they saw that their problem in the championship game, even though they won, and then certainly the Super Bowl, were injuries up front on the offensive line. So they fortified that offensive line. Now those guys want to see what they can do. So it's a different test. But if you find something in it in this game, or there's something that works in this game, who knows when you'll see them again and it may carry over. So I think these games are, of course, priority one. They're a win in the standings. When you look back at the number of wins you get to determine home field, it's not like the win over Kansas City is more weighted than one overall lesser team on your schedule. Uh, so it counts for that, number one. Secondly, it is measuring yourself against the team that has proven to be the best by going back to back to, back to the Super Bowl, representing your conference. You have to go through them to get there. This could be part of going through them because this game could impact home field in late January. Patrick Mahomes is great. Kelsey's great. Tyree Kill, they're all terrific. They're not going to be as great and as fast in the snow in Orchard Park in late January, right? So if you win a game like this, you may end up getting an AFC championship rematch if that happens at your place. That's why these games are so important. But I do think from a confidence, a mentality, and then an XO standpoint, these games, while they mean the same as the other 16 on the schedule in terms of value for wins and losses, I think they carry more because of exactly what you said. Chance to go out and see how we measure up this year against the team that they put out on the field this year. Mike, has there been, um, you know, who, who's kind of a memorable game that you've announced that you that really sticks out in your head or or a person that you've interviewed? You mentioned, you know, being in New England last week. I'm sure that mm -hmm. was probably one of your top uh, memories there. But um, any other, um, you know, games that you've called what, in, that, in any sport, really, uh, that really sticks out as special to you? Yeah, Kim, I've been lucky to be a bunch of places. I'd say if you ask about events, I've been to the uh, Winter Olympics in 2018 in South Korea and watching North Korea and South Korea walk in as one unified nation, uh, nations that were and are still at war uh, and uh, <clears throat> barely get along and speak, even though they're neighbors. To watch their athletes walk in under one flag is something I'll never forget that reminded me of the power of sports. Uh, there are things like Tiger Woods winning the career Grand Slam, becoming the fifth person to ever do it, the first time it ever happened on live TV. Uh, to be a part of something like that uh, at the home of golf in Scotland, St. Andrews, was was huge. But if you ask me for one event that still sticks with me, and we just passed the 15th anniversary of it, it's relatively insignificant in terms of championships. It was the third game of the 2006 season, and our third game, for me, in the booth calling Monday Night Football. And it was the New Orleans Saints returning home after Hurricane Katrina. And that city was so ravaged. And that Superdome, 54, 55 weeks before, was a, a place of last resort for people hoping to stay alive. And there was a hole in the ceiling. And you remember the pictures and the imagery and all the people who came back. Well, they fixed the dome. And it was New Orleans' opportunity as a city to tell the world that they were open for business again. And then you fast forward all the things that happened. It was Sean Payton's first home game with the Saints. He's still there. Drew Brees' first home game with the Saints. He's now next to me on the set and then calling Notre Dame football. Steve Gleason, who blocked a punt on the fourth play from scrimmage of the game, has gone through a terrible medical battle and has been inspirational to so many people over the years. Now, who would have known the guy who blocked that punt has become inspirational for so many people who've never touched football? So you think about all of that. 
and how the city announced at a football game to the world that we're open for business again. Uh, come live here, come stay here, come have your conferences here, New Orleans is back. Uh, that was as powerful a moment as I think I'll ever experience because it does speak to the power of sports and that uh, you may have the Buffalo Symphony, you may have wonderful representatives of Buffalo, but few, few people go around America with the word Buffalo across their chest or on the nameplate there. And it's the Bills and the Sabres going across North America, representing that city. And that night to me reminded me that as silly as sports can be, as out of whack economically as it can be relative to most people who watch the games, there is still something um, in the world of sports that connect to people and matter in terms of civic pride, unlike anything else that happens in our country. And it's just a privilege to be a part of that. And that's the lesson I learned that night and hopefully take with me every time I get to broadcast a game somewhere. Yeah, we are so blessed to, to be in a world where we get to cover sports for our full-time jobs and that Kim gets to be a part of two great sports organizations in Buffalo that just fuel the city in, in more ways than she probably knows. Do you have a sport that's your favorite sport to call and maybe one that's the most challenging to call? Well, uh, I love them all. I love them all the same. I like to say the MS who are blessed to have multiple kids. You, you love them all the same in different ways, right? I do find that football connects with uh, my personality the most. The uh, preparation, I like to say it's 50 hours, 60 hours a week of preparation that leads to a three and a half hour open book oral exam in front of America. And you better be right. And there's going to be a night when Brandon Bean and the construction of the team becomes a really big part of the story. And it happened to be when we did a Sunday night game up there last year against Pittsburgh because there were some injuries and you started to look at the team that Brandon has built here. So it, being able to build out that story or, or the story of Terry and Kim or the story of uh, an assistant coach or a coordinator who's a hot coordinator, Brian Dable's connection with West Seneca and the neighborhoods and growing up a Bills fan. Those are the stories that matter. So you've got to prepare for the 53 on the field and another dozen off the field times two. So there are 130 stories and you don't know which one you're going to sit down to tell people as a story at the end of the night that's going to stick with them. And I love the week of culling together all of those stories and information. And then for three and a half hours, you don't know which one of the 130 you're going to need. So be ready and let's go. I, I love that. I would say that the hardest one to do um, is hockey. I, I didn't realize how, how difficult hockey was until I got in there. And um, the, the, the people who've done it, like Rick up there in Buffalo for a half century, um, the people nationally, like Mike Emmerich, who's retired now, and Kenny Albert, and a whole bunch of others, are folks who I have a, always, always admired. But it was very different when uh, when I figured out real quick that, oh, wait, wait a minute. There's not there's not a stop between plays to figure out who's out on the field. When, when did they change? When did, when did the coach decide to flip that line? I'll tell you a very quick story. I'm getting ready to do my first game. It's Detroit and Chicago and Detroit. I live in Michigan. I know the Red Wings pretty well. And so I'm focused in on the lines. Okay, I've got I've got the line combinations down. So I'm, I, I have a sense of the rhythm of the line changes. Understand, ready to go. First shift, one of the Red Wings, left wings, takes a stick up by the face, out the rest of the game. The lines are a mishmash the rest of the game. I'm a wreck. I'm a disaster, right? <laughs> Second shift, one of the Blackhawks defensemen takes a puck off his ankle trying to block a shot. He's out. The defense pairs are mixed up the whole game. So I am completely toast. At that point, I realized this is pretty hard, but it was fun. I, 
I love doing hockey. I love the speed and the pace of it and the people around the game as well. Yeah, I, I couldn't uh, I I couldn't agree with you more. Like, you know, people ask me the same thing. Which one do you love more, football or hockey? And I, I, I say the same thing you did. It's like your kids, right? They're so different that it's hard to actually compare them. They're not, it's not like apples to apples. Um, but because, but, but also that's the best part of the game, right? The fact that there is no stoppages when you, you know, that's you're expected when the line combinations change. Um, and sometimes they're only on the ice for a few seconds or minutes. They're, they're not out there for, uh, you know, for an extended period of time. So it, it is uh, the hard part of hockey is also what makes it so great. Um, and it's also really fun to see in person, uh, the speed of the game the best. and hearing the sounds. Um, it's awesome. But you are a Syracuse grad as in just as well as my son is. Um, he's graduating, just almost graduated. But um, so going into Syracuse broadcast, was that what you always wanted to do? Or did you have other plans growing up as a, as a kid from New York? Yeah, so I, I had this wonderful idea that I was going to be a baseball player. And then when we got to high school and, and the options were to be a defensive replacement or maybe a pinch runner, like, you know what, maybe this isn't going to work out. So the high school baseball team never really happened. And I started the media world and as a writer. And when I got to Syracuse, I mentioned Paul Peck earlier, who a lot of the folks listening know from all of his time up in Buffalo. Paul and I ended up being roommates for a couple of years. There were about eight or nine of us there who were still – in the business, uh, you know, Paul calls the University of Buffalo games, does a great job with UB and the wonderful program that they've built football wise. We've got a roommate who's uh, the voice of the Houston Astros on TV for the last five years. Another roommate who uh, is in sports talk radio in Houston. Another one is the voice of the University of Cincinnati, who's from uh, that area up right near Jamestown. Dan Horde who's a longtime Western New York guy who's uh, had a lot of success. So we had a bunch of people who wanted to all do this. And there weren't many in America in 1984, 85, 86, when we were in school, who were going to school to be sports broadcasters. But about eight or 10 of us there, that's what we wanted to be. And that was right as Syracuse started to build uh, a recent tradition. It started with the guys, well, actually, it started going back to Dick Clark, for those who remember American Bandstand, uh, Ted Koppel, who did Nightline on ABC. People knew about Bob Costas and Marv Albert and Dick Stockton, great national sportscasters. And then it really started to build in the 80s and 90s. Now we've got people like Ian Eagle, who builds fans <clears throat> here a lot on their games, or Andrew Catalan as well. So we've got a whole bunch of uh, Syracuse mafia, if you will. We talk about the Bills mafia all the time. We have a Newhouse mafia and a Syracuse mafia who uh, covers sports, and we're so proud of all of that. So we've been able to grow and uh, build a successful part of that. And we're honored to have your son as part of the uh, – part of the Orange Forever uh, group that will go out there and represent Syracuse University well. All right, well, I got somebody here who wants to say hi to you. That's a familiar face. I know that guy. Hello, Terry. We are. Hey, we are. Wait, he, he calls Penn Penn Oh, are you, you want me to do Penn State? <laughs> we are just talking about Syracuse here. You know, yeah. you win four or five football games, Terry, oh, and no, you think – you think we're all buying into Penn State. Congrats, congrats on that. I know hockey season is getting ready to get going, not just with the Sabres, but with Penn State as well. And, and I told Kim, I'm so glad you two have been able to enjoy a couple of blowout games. It must be nice at the end of a fourth quarter to not be biting nails and uh, have sweaty palms. Oh, I, I don't know. I was you there. Know, as an owner, you're still biting yes. your nails. <laughs> you're wondering if somebody's going to get hurt. You, you, know, you, you, you know how it goes. Of course. We're so happy. We're so happy to see you guys off to a great start. Where are you at right now? 
I'm at the, I'm at our home in Michigan, uh, okay. getting ready to uh, head to New York for Football Night in America on Sunday, so we can have the world enjoy the Bills and the Chiefs in a rematch of the AFC Championship game, and uh, really set the tone after last week and the Brady return in Foxborough. Uh, yeah. The NFL is in an incredible, uh, incredible spot. I don't remember a first month like this. Viewership, interest, storylines, young quarterbacks, and you guys have as good a young quarterback as anybody in Josh. So. Uh, good thing, good things continue to come your way, and we're really happy for y'all. You got the leaves going up there. Absolutely, Kim and I were talking about that before we started recording. The leaves are turning. It's that time of year. We we enjoy those leaves because we know when they all fall down, what comes next? The snow comes <laughs> after that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, hey, good seeing you, uh, Barry. Good seeing you. I'll see you folks on the road, and uh, I, I can't root for anybody, but we're happy when good things happen to good people. So we continue to be happy for you all. Okay, right. good to see you. Thanks, Thanks, Terry. I love it. Not every day do you get a Terry Pagula appearance on I Bill's Hot You must be special, Mike. Yeah. Even Josh <laughs> Allen didn't get a Terry Pagula appearance. <laughs> That's an all-time great mystery guest. I love it. That's fabulous. Well, you mentioned uh, being a part of this awesome broadcast on Sunday night. Uh, you get to call the game and, and be with just several really special people in the sports world uh, that so many people get to watch every single week. Uh, working alongside guys like Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth, Michelle Tafoya. What's the best part about being with a team like that? And I just named a few of them. There are so many yeah. other uh, great people who, who get to be on camera and be a part of those huge broadcasts every single week. Yeah, Maddie, it, it was fun last week because usually our studio group is in Connecticut where our NBC headquarters are. And then the game group is on site week to week wherever Sunday Night Football is. But we're all able to be in the same place for the game last week in Foxborough for that return game with Brady. And, you know, you kind of roll in there and it's, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be with Tony Dungy who's in the Hall of Fame and Drew Brees who will be in the Hall of Fame. And to be with Drew the night that his all-time passing yard record was passed and Rodney Harrison, Super Bowl champion. Uh, Jack Collinsworth has joined us on the road as well. So Jack and Rodney are at the games every week with Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth, Michelle Tafoya, who've you know, had a run where Sunday Night Football for the last decade has been the most watched primetime show in America. No show has ever had a run in primetime TV like Sunday Night Football. And of course, it's the NFL, but uh, Al, Chris, and Michelle have helped to make that over the years and our group behind the scenes, uh, Fred Gadelli who produces that show and Drew Esikoff who directs it. They, they take so much care and uh, they do not get outworked uh, by anyone in, uh, in our industry. And it shows in the, the quality of those broadcasts. So just to be a part of that team and you know what I love to do. So on Sundays, I'll give you a, uh, an inside look at what happens on Sundays for us. I'll be in our studio in Connecticut on Sunday and our football night in America show goes on at seven Eastern time. So starting at about 1130, we're all in one big room with a whole bunch of big TVs for eight hours. And it's me and Tony Dungy's on one side of me. Drew Brees is on the other side. Chris Sims is in there. We've got Catherine Tappen, who hosts our Peacock uh, Sunday Night Football final postgame show. Catherine is uh, our partner at Notre Dame on sidelines. She's a great, great reporter and friend. All of our producers and our assistants, our research team, and we watch football. And so when something happens in a football game, I get to look to my left and go to Tony Dungy, Hall of Fame coaches, won the Super Bowl. Tony, what happened? And he tells you right away. Or I get to look at Breeze and say, hey, how, how good was that throw that Josh Allen just made? But uh, if Bills fans remember from last year, the playoff game, 
Josh Allen's biggest fan in the media is Chris Sims. Chris Sims sits about two rows back over my left shoulder. And every time I hear Chris Sims yell, that's my boy blue. I know Josh Adams just made, uh, Josh Allen just made another incredible running scrambling play. Uh, so we have as much fun as people do at home watching football with their friends. And the only difference is we, we have to stop at some point, go put on makeup and share the highlights with America and talk about the game. So it's so much fun. I hope you can hear that in my answer and, and my voice. Uh, that's a chance for us to uh, watch all the games at once, share why it happened with America. People see the highlights on their phones now, you know, so it's not just about the highlights. We like to call them the why lights. Why did it happen? Why was this play so important? Why is this player so good? And then just get the table set for Sunday Night Football so to hear what those guys think before we throw it to Al Chris Michelle at Arrowhead this week. I wish we had more Sunday Night games in Buffalo. That, that's one of the things I'd like to see next year. I'd like to see a couple more games in Western New York on a Sunday night. Um, that, that's a special atmosphere. I've gotten to do some Monday Night games there. And, uh, boy, do I, I want to see a few more Sunday Nighters up there for sure. I, I got to work on that. I got to work <laughs> yes. on yes. the guy, the, the guy that, um, that does the schedule. I'll have to – do that but we'll have to hopefully we'll be able to earn that spot uh more more of those spots in the future so you know you talked about the 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 prep and the work that that you do for the broadcast so for we have young listeners out here you know what would you say as as advice for anyone wanting to get into broadcast um what what they should expect um advice for them as they they uh go down that road and that journey whether it's in sports or in any other broadcast well, the number one piece of advice is take your time. Don't take my job just yet, right? <laughs> Maddie and I want to hold on to our jobs for a few more years, so be patient. No, um, in all seriousness, Kim, it's a great question. I always tell folks, get on the air wherever you can. And I think more than ever, that's possible. I'll just go back 10, 15 years. Uh, teams didn't have reporters like Maddie who were on the air doing podcasts, doing reports on, on bills.com, all of that stuff. Um, there were only a few network broadcasts. There weren't things like the Big Ten Network, uh, so Terry can watch his beloved Penn State team in any sport possible at any time, or the ACC Network, where your son and I can watch Syracuse at any time in any sport they're playing. Those now have announcers. That didn't exist 15, 20 years ago. So all we've done in the media industry and sportscasting is expand and grow. So there are more opportunities than ever before. I say that the keys are to be prepared. You know, you need to know who the backup punter is. You need to know all the little things. Get practical experience. Get on the air wherever possible. Does your local cable system or your local radio station broadcast high school football? Get involved. Be around it. Be a PA announcer at a stadium. Be somewhere in front of a live microphone where you know what you can and can't say and learn that. Um, the whole Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours thing, that's real. Uh, the more hours of experience you get, the more comfortable you are on the air. And uh, if it's a job you love, then go after it and be your own harshest critic, too. Because I think in this industry, uh, everyone's critical. But we've all seen things on TV that we like and we've seen things that we don't like. Can you take what you don't like and make sure that that's part of what you don't do on the air and do the things on the air that you like in your own style, in your own personality? If you can do those kind of things. I think you'll have a great chance in 20 or 30 years to kick me and Maddie out of our chairs. <laughs> and uh, go to the journalism school, my alma mater, Mizzou or Syracuse. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Those are great ones. Absolutely. It may be in the other order, but you're, you're exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where is the coolest 
place this job has taken you? Because you've gotten to go all over the world uh, covering sports to covering Olympics uh, to covering golf to tennis. So what what's at the top of your list of places that you've gotten to visit because of your career? Yeah, Maddie, that's a really good question. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking here, I think the answer would be South Africa Ooh. for the World Cup in 2010. Uh, to go to Johannesburg and base out of there and go to different cities around South Africa to watch different mat- matches. Uh, Rustenburg, South Africa, I never in my life would have gotten there if not for the USA being drawn there to play in a soccer match. Uh, to go to Cape Town to see a World Cup semifinal in Cape Town and uh, to see what is so beautiful about that city, but also uh, to go see the Apartheid Museum uh, in South Africa and get a tour from someone who was uh, was imprisoned because of apartheid, who gave us the chance to see that. I would have never done that if I was just covering news or just covering sports, but to cover the World Cup and have work take me there um, with that kind of access uh, to be around the country, see it uh, for some of its biggest sporting moments on the global stage, uh, that would that would have to be number one. But uh, there's so many so many places. It, it's taken me to most of the continents where people live. Uh, to cover golf mostly, uh, to Tokyo for the Olympics, to South Korea for the Olympics, to South America, to Rio for the Olympics. So uh, very, very lucky and blessed to have done a whole bunch of really, really, really cool things, uh, holding a microphone, wearing some makeup and talking about sports. Well, you have another Olympics coming up. We do. We do. So you've you've got, you have two in one calendar year um, going to the Winter Olympics in China. Um, you know, what is your expectations now? You know, obviously with the um, Summer Olympics in Japan, there was, you know, a lot of waiting to see if it actually was going to happen. And then, of course, you know, um, doing it, it's probably much different. But what what are your thoughts going into the Winter Olympics this year? Yeah, Kim, it's a great question. And if, if you can see off camera, there's a stack of Beijing reading material over there. So we've got some <laughs> bobsled reading to do later today. <laughs> Uh, do you know how to speak Chinese or, or read not, Chinese? Not, not, not a bit. That that will be a struggle. It's it's always always a gap, uh, and I'll, I'll be I'll be working on enough to get by uh, as as we get uh, closer to it. Yeah, it, the Winter Olympics this year, day ten of the Winter Olympics happens to be Super Bowl Sunday. They're both on NBC, so we have two and a half weeks with the Olympics, and right smack in the middle of the games is the biggest sporting event in America, and Super Bowl. So uh, we have an incredibly busy but exciting time ahead. Uh, that, that will be an interesting Olympics, obviously, with all of the geopolitical issues with the United States and China, um, the coronavirus still being a part of the conversation, international fans in all likelihood not going to be there, fans from China, it looks like might be in the stands. If that's the case, then I think from an atmospheric standpoint, it will be a little bit better atmosphere. But talk about the ultimate home crowd. If you have all all fans from China who are approved by the country, then you're going to have, obviously, uh, a very pro-China crowd for for the games. But it it looks like the IOC learned a lot from Tokyo. Uh, Tokyo was a very restrictive game. It was bittersweet. The city did an unbelievable job of pulling it off, yet the the people who lived there couldn't enjoy it because of COVID. And I think we're going to be in a similar position with these China uh, Olympics and these winter games. But having said all that, uh, to see two Olympic games in about a 200 day stretch, and on top of that, in the middle of a pandemic is an extraordinary accomplishment. And I will say to steal 10 more seconds of this, our NBC uh, 
Olympic organizers from the top down, executives to technicians, did an incredible job of pulling off the Tokyo broadcast. Uh, the hours, seven, 8,000 hours of TV in the middle of a pandemic, half a world away, uh, was an extraordinary, one of, the, one of the most extraordinary feats in television history to pull off. And uh, it's such an honor to work uh, on their shoulders uh, with everything that they were able to pull off over there. And we're just gonna repeat and rinse off and do it again in China here in a couple of months. Well, yeah, it was pretty incredible. Uh, thanks. Yeah, it was Can't pretty wait. incredible too watch all that happen uh, on TV, but we won't take much more of your time because we know you've got bobsled reading to do. <laughs> we know you've got a football game to prepare for, right. but maybe to uh, finish off this podcast, I know you said that you do 50 to 60 hours plus of prep every week for a game where you get three hours to talk about it and, and a pregame show to kind of let people know the storylines and, and to tie everything up after the game. But sure. is there a storyline that maybe is one of your favorites about this game that you don't know if you'll get the time yeah. or get the opportunity uh, to talk about that maybe you could tell some of our viewers about it now? Well, the good news is I don't have to spend 50 to 60 hours on this one, right? I'll spend five or six hours in preparing for uh, for our studio work and what I read during the week and the notes that our research department does. So uh, next week when I'm calling the game, we're in we're in full 50, 60 hour mode or when I do a Notre Dame game. You know, for this one, one of the storylines I'm really, I'm really looking forward to seeing, or at least I'd love to hear a little conversation about, is the Andy Reid tree. Uh, when, when you start looking at at Leslie Frazier, you start looking at Sean McDermott. It's an appreciation for, I think, one of the best head coaches in the NFL, uh, NFL's history, who I was really glad to see, and I think a lot of folks were, get a Super Bowl victory. It's it's unheard of until Andy to win 100 games in the NFL in two different places. And when I saw Andy back in Philadelphia last week, I it got me to thinking, man, I just think of him as the Chiefs coach right now and all those years in Philadelphia, getting to a Super Bowl, having sustained success in Philadelphia. Think how good those Eagles teams were. And I think how much sustained success and good teams we're seeing in Kansas City. And look at the coaches around him. Uh, and you, you're, you're living a big part of that with Sean McDermott. Um, a, a lot of the success of a coach like a Sean McDermott comes from watching Andy Reid handle everything that goes on. And he did. And that's why when stuff comes up with the Bills, there's a calm about it from the head coach's perspective that maybe maybe behind the scenes is a little bit different, but in front of the camera, that's handled. And I think that that's a story that I'd love to hear discussed a bit more because you've got, you've got some people there who have uh, spent time with one of the all-time best coaches, and he's turned out a terrific coach in Sean McDermott. I, I, I sat in Sean's office last year before he did a Bills game. And I can't tell you how impressed I was. was two years ago, excuse me, before the game in New England, two years ago on NFL Network on a Saturday night. I can't tell you how impressed I was with what Sean is all about. Uh, you know, his family, the pictures of the family on the desk, but telling us stories about the kids, um, stories about individual players, the Buffalo market, the city, really learning the city, really getting comfortable with the city and feeling like it's a great fit. A lot of us know, if you get to know Buffalo, just like Syracuse and Rochester and Albany and all upstate, you really love the place. It's special people. Um, and I think your coach has that. And a lot of that is 
what he has observed and learned over time, being ready for this job because of the time around Andy. So that's a storyline that I'm glad you mentioned it, Maddie, because now I'm going to force that into the pregame show a little bit. But uh, certainly, uh, if I was in the booth, I would make sure we made some time to tell that story on Sunday night. I would love to know also what what he's done differently than yeah. uh, than Andy Reid. You know, just how, yes. how he's taken the good of of what he's learned under uh, the coaching tree of, of Andy Reid, and um, and then how he's made it his own into something where um, hopefully he's going to be forming his own coaching tree someday as well, or adding Kim, to the pages. Thousand percent. It's a great point. It's what I was talking about earlier when you were asking about young sportscasters. You know, there there are things that I've observed from. Al Michaels, from Kurt Gowdy way back in the day, from Dick Emberg, God rest his soul, from Jim McKay, from Bob Costas, people who I've watched as a fan and then been around at a different time in my life professionally, that I don't do exactly what they do, but I take it, the lesson learned, and put it in my own words with my personality. And you're exactly right. It's a great, and I'm glad you said that, because it's a good way to approach that with some coaches who I'll come across later on this year not just off the tree, but what did you learn and what did you put in your own spin that was a lesson you learned from your mentor that has helped you succeed? I think it's great advice for all of us in any walk of life, for sure. Well, we're hoping what the difference is between uh, Coach uh, Coach Reed and, and Coach McDermott is going to be the difference in the game that goes in our favor this Sunday. I'm sure you are. That was what, that was perfectly said by the owner of the team. See, you can <laughs> You can be a homer here on this. It's your podcast. It's your team. So you better you better be all about it, right? <laughs> yes, right. Well, thank well, you, Mike. Before for we wrap, yeah, thank you so much, Mike. Before we wrap up, one thing that was interesting that you know you already pointed to about these two coaches is Sean McDermott was doing his media availability on Monday afternoon, and he was asked about something that he's learned uh, from Andy Reid, and he talked about the consistency. Uh, that he learned from Andy Reid and how he preaches that all the time is to stay consistent from your game week prep to your practices, to your schedules, to your meals, uh, to your rehab, whatever it may be, it's the consistency. And that's the mindset they're using to go into this game against his former head coach. So it it all comes together at the end of the day with uh, how many coaching trees clash in the NFL and how many yeah. coaches have, have coached together. So, Great point. Hey, that's the consistency you demand from your listeners. Download this podcast every week, <laughs> like it, listen to it, tell a friend. Every single week, you have to do that all the way through the Super Bowl, and then, and then you're all set. <laughs> Well, Mike, thank you so much for being on with us, for sharing your path uh, to be a part of the NBC Sports family. Uh, We wish you all the best luck in the pregame show, uh, and we hope it's a wonderful broadcast for everybody involved in. And we'll see you hopefully on Thanksgiving then. Absolutely. Maddie, thank you. Congratulations to uh, all all the Bills fans. And uh, Kim, all all the best the rest of the year. I look forward to seeing you and Terry down the line. All right. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for being here. Of course. Take care, ladies.